Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today, I know you've all been looking forward to the Super Bowl, but you know, we still got a whole nother week to uh, talk about that Chiefs-Buccaneers matchup. So, you know, we got a few questions today on that, but going to be focused a little bit more on some off-season business, particularly best ball leagues, which is one of my favorite ways to spend time between February and August. Obviously, we don't have the AFL. We don't have the XFL. There's no live football going on during the off-season this year. And you know what? As someone that's in far too many dynasty leagues at this point, having a avenue where we can just go draft a team and then tune back in after season to see how it goes it's a fun way to spend some of these lonely nights for us fantasy football analysts out there so DraftKings underdog best ball shout out to all the sponsors out there want to you know again give a highlight on mostly best ball format stuff so I brought a very special guest to help me accomplish this someone that I've done more best ball drafts than literally anyone else on this planet that is NBC Sports and Rotor World NFL and fantasy football analyst John Daigle Johnny football how's it going man you're going to be forced to catch up on Chuba Hubbard and Devonta Smith film this offseason instead of your normal XFL stuff. I, I've been slacking on the rookies for years. I, I maintain that we put a little too much time into them and it kind of, you know, changes things. And as soon as we had the live football to pivot to, I was all over it. But you were right, John. I've been hating on people, you know, particularly our, our dear friend Josh Norris on uh, spending too much time on the rookies over the years. But now I'm going to become a Mark uh, just like them. I think it's okay to delve into it for those two months. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy Debbie Leagues. However, my issue with that type of content is that I believe a lot of people build priors, like going back to quarterbacks that come out of high school. And thus, they think they have a good overview for those four years and don't really change their opinions. Of course, there are super sharp people who do. Like, uh, let's just say Curtis Patrick, for instance, is one that comes to mind at Rotoviz. And a lot of people do good Debbie work, but I just want to avoid building priors. And that's why I like doing it the two to three months before the draft. And that's pretty much where it stops for me no I think you nailed it I mean if you can get good information that's great just be prepared to change a lot of what you've known once the landing spot comes into play once be prepared for Justin Herbert to show up and light the entire league on fire no matter (laughs) what you thought about his final year at Oregon exactly I'm looking forward to more you know Josh Allen JV completion percentage s stats (laughs) as the uh, months go on uh quickly before we get started though make sure if you are a if you are not I should say a loyal PFF subscriber just yet we got a nice sale for your Super Bowl 25 promo code will get you 25% off any subscription uh, we have our 2021 NFL draft guide out, which is fantastic, filled with 150 player profiles. So you can subscribe to Edge or Elite to get that. Remember, that's promo code Super Bowl 25, 25% off in this economy. Gotta absolutely love it. So we will be going through the usual 10 questions with Johnny Daigle. Again, thank you for the time, John. Let's get after it. So, question number one you had a great article last offseason. You wrote it like in June and July. So I'm not expecting you to have similar takeaways right now, but basically, it was your six thoughts about fantasy football in 2020. Uh, quickly, they were rankings are a guideline, not a blueprint uh ranges matter have more skin in your priors which you were just talking about uh weighing week one is an edge expect more injuries and there's never been a better time to zig obviously 2020 was a very unique offseason covid and all that going on as we enter the 2021 offseason do you have any meaningful changes to these six thoughts or is it pretty much time to wipe the canvas clean and start over That article actually occurred in mid-lockdown in Connecticut. So I was basically drinking myself to sleep. And then I I was up late one night and came up with what is essentially the ramblings of a madman. Um, But a lot of them actually hit. A lot of them came true. Uh, And that was citing the injuries portion of it. Just the fact that there weren't going to be many offseason reps, uh, lack of training camp reps as well, was going to affect injuries. And we saw basically every running back come into play. Uh, if there, if you wrote a waiver wire column, which of course I do at Roto World, you had to at least talk about every backup at one point or another because everyone was in play. And so I think for a, a most part of it, for majority of it, the article stays intact. I will say the one other takeaway is that we learned blindly citing air yards is incorrect. Uh, you look at guys like Jalen Rager, AJ Green, Terry McLaurin, DJ Shark, Jerry Judy, They have been dubbed the Prairie Yards Hall of Fame candidates because the type of air yards they were getting were incorrect. They were inaccurate. You look at PFF's charting stats, right? And um, all those yards and deep targets they were getting weren't even catchable. And thus their air yards just didn't matter. Uh, Drew Locke was never going to hit Jerry Judy at at above a league average rate. And that goes for Gardner Minshew to GJ Shark. The list goes on and on. So I actually like looking at those types of guys and buying them low this upcoming offseason because I think they're going to be a lot of changes in their offense and they're just going to get more accurate passers but yeah I think we should look to not only air yards for this upcoming season for 2021 but just who is actually getting accurate targets downfield as opposed to balls launched over their head and into the sidelines 
It's a great point. I think prayer yards throughout this, this last season, was one of my favorite new, like, you know, additions to the vocabulary that I hadn't heard before. And, you know, it, it really is great. And yeah, so I'm, I'm with you there. And also I would just, you know, say again, I love the point about the rankings because, you know, you're going to be in some of these drafts and you're going to see someone falling that you don't want to draft and nobody wants to draft. And that's why they're falling. And I get it at some point they become a value, but man, don't let these medium projections that people and maybe you are making, you know, influence exactly who you're drafting every single round tier based strategy is the way to go because maybe you want more of a volume hog you know slot wide receiver uh, if you already have a bunch of boomer bust guys or maybe the opposite comes into play at this point in the year 2021 john dale i think you gotta go tiers based and of course for number two ranges matter uh you want to avoid the risk of ruin like I was not in all the way on AJ Brown wide receiver one season, but I avoided the risk of ruin by getting him like 15, 20% of my drafts. Like, even though I was fading him incorrectly, by the way, because the Titans apparently decided to jam him targets this year, which is amazing because it's more fun to watch him when he's getting jammed targets. But if I was like all the way out fading completely, then my portfolio would basically be bankrupt. So again, ranges matter in those instances where it comes down to like Calvin Ridley and AJ Brown, you certainly take your stand. Like I took my stand on Calvin. And Ridley had him overweight on the field, but and even wanting to fade AJ Brown and still getting a little bit of him, I saved myself from just going broke. So again, factor that in as well this year. Yeah, we are not 100% right. And, you know, be careful on anything. Exactly. So, you know, it's a, a lot of these platforms, you know, you're able to look back at all your teams and see, you know, what percentage of each player, you know, you have overall. And you see someone, you know, over 50 is 60% or a really good wide receiver like AJ Brown, not so high. Great point. You want to get a little bit of action onto that. So right, I want to talk a little more specific now about players and upcoming strategies. So we've seen some absolutely huge QB seasons in recent years. I don't know, man. I've been doing some research today and that just the whole late round QB strategy. It's a good time. I think the question whether it's still viable these days we got more dual threat QBs than ever and look I'm not saying you need to use a top three round pick and you know chase Patrick Mahomes Lamar Jackson but failing to get one of the top eight or so guys just seems like you're potentially leaving a lot of upside on the table let's say you know we're talking about single QB for now your typical best ball draft are you trying to come away with a stud QB inside the first say six or so rounds to be clear, people smarter than you and I, well, at least according to me, someone like Rich Rebar wrote about this in 2013. Someone like JG Zacharyson wrote about this in 2016. Like they forecasted this and now we are left to clear up the dust and adjust quickly. Fortunately, I think it's still time to adjust. So it's going to depend on what the market dictates. Uh, it's early. We don't know eight quarterback ADPs right now for best ball leagues. That's still being established, but if the, let's say the market's behind and still drafts quarterbacks early, thus the mid to rate, late round guy will be valuable. We're just assuming though that everyone will continue to get smarter as we see it happen every year, not only in best ball leagues, but in fantasy drafts and thus quarterbacks fall more to mid and late round. And if that's the case, then we have to adjust and it won't be late round anymore. It'll be more about mid round. But again, we won't know how that happens. I will say the way I draft is not taking quarterbacks early. Um, and what we've seen recently is that quarterbacks now, especially top heavy, the top 12 are being more impactful and more important to grab. Uh, over the last three years, 71 touchdowns by quarterbacks in 2018, uh, 80 the next year, and then just last year, 126. It jumped from 80 total quarterback rushing TDs to 126 last year, which is insane. And of course, the fewest number or the most number of offensive penalties called or defensive penalties called, which caters to offenses. I genuinely believe it's never been easier to be a rookie quarterback and be successful because everything is catered to you to, to increase ratings and and safety and everything else. Also this past year, top 12 quarterbacks averaged 18.1 fantasy points per game, um, which was the most since 2011. So passing, like I cited for the flags and the penalties, passing has also gotten easier. And now we're also seeing an influx of multiple dual rushing quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence averaged six and a half carries per game and his three years with Clemson Trey Lance 10 and a half carries just last year Justin Fields as you know single-handedly uh seven and a half carries last year Zach Wilson with seven and then even Ian Book who played 11 years at Notre Dame averaged nine carries per game in his last two seasons so we're going to get more rushing quarterbacks this year the question is can they be successful with their arms like Camden was the outlier where he lived on rushing juice but his arm and the overall passing volume and the players around him of course 
just weren't there. But if you can even be league average at passing and still have the five to eight carries per game, like that's what gets you over the hump and over the top, over the guys like Roethlisberger and Kirk Cousins who don't run the ball at all. So I do think it's become more mid to late round strategy as opposed to late round. But again, we have to wait and see what the market dictates for us. There, it's kind of a, you know, two sides to the coin here because yes, we're seeing like a higher ceiling. And if you want to just look at, you know, pick some of these arbitrary numbers we're cutting off. You know, if you look at QBs to average at least 24 fantasy points per game, there were six in 2020, only five combined from 2012 to 2019. But on the other side of things, yeah, there might be a higher ceiling, but the floor is almost higher than ever as well. I mean, we had 11 quarterbacks with a minimum five starts, average at least 20 fantasy points per game in 2020. So there were seven in 2019, there were eight in 2018. And from 20, uh, 2010 to 2017 they were never any more than five so yeah we're seeing the higher ceiling but the floor is almost there as well i'm with you it's more of a mid to late round i would like to get one of those top 10 top 12 guys but i don't think it's something that we need to be overly freaking out about because you know we got guys like trevor lawrence maybe justin fields depending on where he lands trey lance you know guys coming in these rookies are more and more uh being able to put up the type of year one production that uh, we're hoping for in fantasy land because you know going into last season we had only seen cam newton kyle murray dak prescott robert griffin uh uh, Russell Wilson, and Andrew Luck. Those are our only QB ones as rookies. Now we have Joe Burrow before he got hurt was joining that. Justin Herbert was in there. Herbert is like the one guy that kind of bucked the rushing trend. But if you look at, you know, his combine numbers, we kind of knew he had that sneaky athleticism. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence sitting right there, you know, 24 rushing yards per game at Clemson. I think he has a good chance of potentially joining that crew. So yeah, John, I think, uh, you know, how, how would you say things change though, if we're looking uh, you know, more at two QB. I think if we're looking two QB or super flex, that's when you should really be, you know, looking first five rounds potentially to get one of these studs. And of course that still depends if it's like Josh Allen and Kyler Murray, if they fall to like the fifth, sixth round, but that's still an overall QB one, potentially, especially with Brian Dable coming back. That's such a yeah. quiet storyline that Josh Allen can has another chance to be MVP in 2021. Um, but yeah, if those guys go in the fifth or sixth round, then of course we don't have to tune our approach too much we just grab them and be happy with it but for two quarterbacks I would think it you should cater to grabbing a quarterback with a high rushing floor as your number two even if that means going in rounds eight through ten as long as you get the rushing juice to have a high floor at QB2 that's okay yeah Good stuff all around. All right, let's move on to some running back stuff here because draft position, it can make a huge difference in overall strategy. But I feel like, you know, at least you and me shared similar philosophy last year. If we can get a three down RB early in round one, just the workhorse, you know, the studs, the Saquon Barkley's of the world, we're probably going to be looking at them before the alpha wide receivers. I think we all agree right now, Devontae Adams is setting up to be the clear cut consensus 2021 wide receiver one. Which running backs right now do you draft ahead of Devontae Adams in full PPR scoring? So right now, since Joe Brady is coming back, and I can't believe he escaped the coaching cycle, <laughs> not having a head coaching job, but since he's coming back, we can easily pin Christian McCaffrey as the number one overall player again. Uh, remember, they they said that McCaffrey, even coming back from injury, would split snaps with Mike Davis. And what happened, of course, against the Chiefs when he returned that one game, he suffered another shoulder injury. But to that point, still handled 18 and 19 running back carries, 10, 10 of 16 RB targets, and 100% of the team's carries inside the 10-yard line. They didn't share the snaps with Mike Davis whatsoever. It didn't matter at all. And that's after Mike Davis basically carried him to that point and helped them win a few games. So I think Christian McCaffrey's workload, again, is safe in 2021. Uh, Dalvin Cook at number two, returned from injury and handled everything from week eight on. 28 touches per game, including 24 carries and four targets per contest. His target share increased because, again, all they had to go to was Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, which is amazing if that's all you have to go to. But when you have no one else dumping down because Kirk Cousins practically isn't even using his tight ends unless he's in the 10-yard line, then Dalvin Cook gets that higher share of targets. And they weren't even using Alexander Madison, even though Cook had already been injured earlier in the year. And then Derrick Henry, of course, just the safest floor possible. Uh, even in Tennessee's most recent loss and totaling 51 yards without a score, Derrick Henry still had 21 touches. So you combine that impeccable floor with a ceiling that he showed in a week 17 must win game with 250 yards and two scores. So you get that weekly and Derrick Henry is pretty much a safety blanket with those touches. And then that right now is where it stops for me which is crazy because I didn't say Alvin Kamara, but 
Alvin Kamara is in the maybe category for me. We saw, and of course this fluctuates because Michael Thomas was in and out of the lineup so much. But we saw this past year, he had a 14.5% target share, Kamara, and four targets per game from Taysom Hill, who is now the Saints' only quarterback under contract currently, um, as opposed to his share with Drew Brees, who historically, not just this year, but historically has been much higher, double-digit targets per game. And so if it's Taysom Hill, um, Nick Underhill, for example, has said that they want to get Jameis Winston back, even if it's a one-year deal, and give him a chance to compete. But even then, Jameis Winston didn't th- rarely threw to his RBs as his full year in 2019 as starter for Tampa Bay. So I'm somewhat worried about Kamara, although maybe that's just overthinking it. Maybe you still take one of the most talented running backs in the league and figure they're going to work his targets in the game somehow. And then I'll also say maybe Nick Chubb, if only because Kareem Hunt's a free agent and they might not get to re-sign him if someone else offers him more money on the market. Interesting. Yeah, I had Chubb and Kamara in the honorable mention spot. I think, uh, you know, yeah. whether it's Jameis or Taysom Hill, yeah, those targets are a massive concern with Alvin Kamara. He's not going to score six touchdowns every single game. Credit to him for having that in his range of outcomes, but going to be tough for him to make up for that without, you know, Captain Checkdown Drew Brees there for him. But Johnny, what about Saquon and Zeke? I understand things went south for the, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, but 90 million reasons to continue feeding the guy. Dak Prescott's going to be back. I mean, I feel like the big thing with Zeke, the volume was there, but the offensive just ceiling was so low that all of a sudden we had like a freaking six-week stretch where Zeke couldn't even find the end zone. Maybe, you know, before Devontae, I guess it's just too much risk. And I guess Saquon coming back from injury, you know, we see kind of, you know, Adrian Peterson back in the day came back year one from the ACL and went for 2K. Maybe I'm overestimating his ability to come back uh you know next season after is it just zeke's you know looking you know like the you know the sloggy kind of meme we've almost made him on twitter and saquon coming off the injury is that why you're you know softer on those two guys for zeke i think it was a combination of things uh and i question whether those things get better like if it was covid fog he'll probably come back and return at full health but the offensive line is an overrated one uh it's a league average one even at full health right now especially as tyron smith uh as these guys continue to get older the cowboys prop their offensive line up more than everyone else so i worry about that factor altogether if zeke comes back uh tony pollard has played so well we know he's still not going to get the line share of touches Um, But I do wonder if he cuts into the workload somewhat still next year. So I'm somewhat worried about Zeke. Having said that, he could be a terrific value in the mid to end of first round if he does slip that much and does come back at full health because he did play so much better when the offense showed he was capable of moving through the air with Dak Prescott. Uh, For Barkley, just like last year, it's more about the offense he's involved in. It's still about uh, if they bring back Jason Garrett, um, if he sticks around. The play calling, the offensive line showed that it was a poor one despite having pro bowler Evan Ingram involved. So I worry about Saquon Barkley in the offense he'll be involved in. Again, though, as one of the most explosive players in the league, probably a good value at as the overall RB5 or 6. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't think it's too unreasonable to put those guys behind. You, you just know, know like, uh, Rebar called him Devontae Adams. He called him wide receiver Christian McCaffrey. Like, yeah. the floor is that safe. And so if you know you're getting that kind of floor, why even risk it with what we call, quote-unquote, bad touches for Barkley and Zeke? Like, I'd just much rather have the potent wide receiver we know is going to get jammed double-digit targets per game. No, I hear it. I mean, you're putting these guys still in the easily among the top eight Definitely. overall players. We're just talking about Devontae freaking Adams here. Okay, last point on this, though. You know, we always talk about, you know, the old, old adage, you know, we chase volume, not talent in fantasy football. Like, Cam Akers, if we see anything resembling what he had towards the end, man, this dude's going to be a top five volume hog. I think, you know, we talk about, you know, we'll get to this a little bit later, but last year, you know, you and me, we were drafting Calvin Ridley as a true, you know, wide receiver one, even when his ADP was in the mid twenties. I almost feel like Cam Akers, like that's probably someone we should be reaching on a couple rounds ahead of where he's probably going to go. Oh, Cam Akers, I imagine will be at the first, second round turn uh, at the latest early second round. Uh, And I will say that, Not only Cam Akers, but Jonathan Taylor is also someone that I've considered. Uh, I still just think it's too early. Recall, though, that Cam Akers in particular, uh, over his last, since week 12, I believe, however many games that was, he rushed for 141 carries, 654 yards, and four touchdowns, which equaled out to 20.1 carries per game and 5.2 yards per touch. They finally entrusted him with the offense, and he exploded from that point forward. So if Cam Akers goes into best ball season as like a top seven running back after all the free agency shuffle shakes out, that would be the least shocking news ever. And for Jonathan Taylor, the same thing, especially because we know the Colts 
already showed no interest in bringing Marlon back. back. Yeah. So if it's Taylor and Naheem Hines and Taylor again commanded touches towards the end of the year over Hines, then sure, both those guys, I will be all in on again. Yeah, I'm with you. And top seven, like that's great for Akers. I just have a feeling like we might see some of these uh, early rankings come out and he might inexplicably be outside the top 12. Something interesting to watch for, for sure. So on the other side of things, you know, we might be better off looking to wide receiver or tight end instead of reaching out RB if we end up with one of these lower draft spot slots. Again, you know, don't reach on Zeke or Saquon if you do have a true target hog like Devonta Adams there. So with that in mind, you know, we're going through a draft. Maybe it just lines up that we're taking a bunch of early round wide receivers. We get Kelsey or something like that. Usually a crop of zero RB, you know, faith where we're looking towards uh, towards the end of the draft. So any targets right now that stick out to you as a prime latest round, we'll say, you know, starting round 10 or beyond running back darts that you're really eyeing. Chase Edmonds, I think, is an all-too-obvious one since Kenyon Drake is currently a free agent. The Cardinals were still a run-heavy offense. And although Kyler Murray still, still is the rushing quarterback, taking away from his running backs, just the fact that uh, Edmonds would get targets, Kenyon Drake would not, but now we can perhaps remove Drake from the picture, increases logically Edmonds' target share as well. And we saw in the one start he got for Drake, I know he wasn't successful, he wasn't produ- productive in the box score, but just to handle 28 of 30 running back touches in that game, we saw what he'll do even with Eno Benjamin behind him. So you have to love Chase Edmonds. Uh, Damian Harris is another late round option because we saw even when Sony Michelle came back from injury, they preferred Damian Harris in the Sony Michelle role issue of course is that they never used him to run routes they never passed the ball to him but again this offense will be remade all together and if the Patriots get it right especially under center in this rebuild in year one that could help Damon Harris get more targets which is what we're always looking for Chris Carson is quietly a undrafted or unrestricted free agent and it does not sound like they are interested in re-signing him even though we know in releasing Schottenheimer they want to be an even heavier run heavy team run first team this upcoming year so if it's just Rashad Penny stuck yeah. there then it's obviously a terrific option to draft him late because you know they put draft capital on him he's a second round guy so or no he's a first, first round, round guy, right? guy yeah he's a first round guy so i just think he's a great option that people will overlook uh, Miles Gaskin, the, in his very first game, the Dolphins activated Savannah Ahmed after Ahmed had handled no joining the team's touches. And even then, Gaskin handled 70% of the RB carries the rest of the way and ran a route on 60% of Miami's dropbacks as they entrusted him with a 14% target share. So I think Gaskin, assuming they don't do anything else at running back, maybe pick up a veteran here and there. But if it's just him with a couple other guys sprinkled behind him, he will be the workhorse there for an offense we consider to be more potent because at least Tua, if they go in, if they don't trade him for like a big Watson deal. At least we know that two will have a an offseason, a healthy offseason to get better. Like I understand it didn't go well this past year, but Tua played like an injured rookie who didn't get offseason reps. It's unsurprising what he did because he had zero time to get ready for the year. Um, and so if he just gets those reps, I think it'll be a much better situation. Yeah, I think some of the Tua hate was a little bit overblown. He really Absolutely. only had he had a banged up Devontae Parker to throw to, just really not that many uh weapons. And he flashed and had some good moments, like really went to, not toe for toe with Patrick Mahomes, but he kept them in that game. He did have a couple other solid moments out there. So I think we're focusing a little too much on the negative. Wrote down Miles Gaskin, Rashad Penny as definitely guys we should be looking at because I think some of the backfields that just seem right for somebody to take over are the Dolphins, the Seahawks, if uh not only Carson and Carlos Hyde's also an unrestricted free agent, the Jets. Steelers, Falcons, and maybe the Packers and Cardinals. And you mentioned Chase Edmonds if Kenyon Drake leaves. So with that in mind, I mean, again, they're not sexy guys, but again, we're talking later than round 10 as people that could potentially be a starter. Michael Pirine with the Jets with Frank Gore out of the picture. Benny Snell with the Steelers. I, you know, I get it. Snail hasn't looked great, but no one looked great in Pittsburgh. He is the next guy up to potentially be a feature back. Brian Hill with the Falcons. A.J. Dillon. I think Dillon's probably going to be a little bit higher. So it's interesting, man. There are a lot of these, you know, just incumbent. They're not incumbent starters, but but they're the incumbent backup. And now if the starter is gone, we can actually potentially, uh, depending on our free agency and the draft shakeout, expect them to be the RB1. So like that's the type of value we're looking for. Cause I realize this all can change, you know, in the blink of an eye in free agency or the, or the draft, but maybe it won't. And that's when these guys become the massive values. I got a couple other guys where I think the split uh, backfield might just have too big of a disparity uh, in average draft position. I want to hear your thoughts. Your guy, Gus Edwards, maybe Naeem Hines, Damian Williams, dare I say, coming back from COVID potentially, Tariq Cohen, Jeff Wilson, any of those guys spark your interest? 
Uh, Gus Edwards is a good one. I love how he's being cited as my guy, all because I want a good <laughs> player to continue to handle touches. I only fight it back because everyone is in the hashtag free JK Dobbins movement, <laughs> or I just want Gus Edwards to hashtag split touches. That's the movement I want because he's a great player. He's one of the league's most elite, pure running backs. And we saw in the playoffs and down the stretch, if you asked him to catch the ball, his hands are actually great too. Just we know Lamar Jackson doesn't dump off at all. So, no, uh, I think Gus Edwards is a really good one. It's especially since we already know that Mark Ingram will get healthy scratched. And by the way, this is why you and I, we do a dynasty league together. And, and this is why we had the argument about J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor is because we already knew Ingram. He had a team-friendly void in his contract and they've already said they're going to get rid of him. So this is why we wanted to be ahead on J.K. Dobbins and dynasty leagues. But the same goes for Gus Edwards, who's going to be around since it's so cheap to bring him back as an exclusive rights-free agent. You brought up a really good one in the Michael P. Ryan, Frank Gore out of the way. Frank Gore won't be coming back because we know he just follows Adam Gase. That's the only reason he was on the team was for Gase. And then, of course, the Jets have too many holes on defense, in particular in their secondary, to make their defense good in year one of this rebuild. And best case scenario, they either draft a quarterback early, so a good one, or trade for Watson. If that's the case, you get P. Ryan being a workhorse on a upgraded and better offense with a bad secondary. And that's exactly what we look for. That's why we targeted Dak Prescott, right? Because we want explosive offenses with very bad defense for fantasy. And the Jets would be just that. So P. Ryan's a really interesting one for sickos doing best ball <laughs> leagues this early. Love it. Yeah. Death taxes, Gus Edwards averaging over five yards per carry. Don't we don't need to be hating on someone that produces this officially. Everybody. He's good. He is good. And I understand yards per carry isn't the only stat we need to use a running backs, but you can look at his yards after contact and all that stuff. Yes. JK Dobbins is better, but as we've seen over really the past two years with Lamar Jackson, Ravens want to use multiple backs. Gus Edwards will be far more involved in his ADP gives him credit for a quick shout out to our sponsors. So all first time depositors that monkey knife fight that put at least $20 in their account while using promo code PFF or C a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily, daily fantasy and prop games. That one of the fast growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. All right. Mentioned this before, but last year, John, you know, we were again really high on Calvin Ridley. I remember at a certain point, you know, where I was looking at the rankings, like, oh, should we be waiting on him? And you were like, no, we need to draft him as the guy we're expecting him to be. It worked out, obviously. But, you know, keeping this in mind, give me a couple of wide receivers that you just already see yourself as much higher on than the consensus rank. I know we don't have a great consensus rank at this point, moment, but who in your mind could the public be underestimating in a couple months once we kind of get into actually having rankings out there? Playoffs? You want to talk about playoffs? Yes, that's right. Football's playoffs start this weekend, and there's no better place to get on all of that action than with DraftKings Sportsbook. PFF and DraftKings have teamed up this weekend only for a prop bet called the PFF Quarterback Special. New users can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if any QB scores a rushing or receiving touchdown. That's code PFF for new players to get $100 if any quarterback scores a rushing or receiving touchdowns. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So for the record, I always do the available targets and air yards tracker uh, starting on at, right after the Super Bowl. And I, I prepped it 75% of the way right now. So I'm aware of like the vacancy and what free agents we're looking at here. And so uh, I have a couple leads into this. And I will say the most obvious one that probably everyone's going to be high on is T. Higgins, uh, especially with A.J. Green leaving. Joe Burrow, of course, coming back healthy, presumably. And from weeks 2 to 11, when T. Higgins, of course, finally usurped, it only took five quarters, but he got ahead of John Ross in week two and started with Burrow until week 11. He only had 11 fewer targets than Tyler Boyd in that stretch and 22 fewer receptions because he was the team's deep threat and Burrow was quietly one of the league's worst deep passers. But I do think that improves in year two uh, with better offensive line play with what I'm assuming will be an improved offensive line, right? And then of course, um, it's still a team that led the league in dropbacks, so I expect to continue under Zach Taylor. And then Joe Burrow just improving in year two just altogether in his development. So Tegan's someone I want to be extremely high over the field on this year. Chase Claypool with Judas Smith-Schuster out the door. The team 
for oddly enough at his age, 24, not being interested in wanting to bring him back. They've, they've said this now pretty much through tea leaves for the past year, two years. So Chase Claypool enters three wide sets as a unique option compared to Deontay Johnson, because as we saw, when he got the chance to start, they actually manufactured touches for him. They got him involved in carries inside the 10 and five yard line. Not only that, but getting him involved downfield as well. Plus James Washington, a good, very good player, but more of a specialty deep threat, not really a shadow, a shallow catch a ball and bring it up field kind of guy. So I like Chase Claypool to be involved all over the field. And then just a bunch of second year guys, honestly, not only who proved they were talented in their rookie year, but are just getting into better situations. Michael Pittman, for instance, when healthy, super explosive and T.Y. Hilton likely not back with the Colts because they're probably looking for a larger contract than what they've said they'll already offer him. It's going to come down to who is that quarterback for the Colts. If it's Jacob Easton, then of course I worry since we don't know much about him, but if they make a splash, a big deal for a better an arm like Matthew Stafford like that's tremendous upgrade so I would love Pittman in that situation uh Jalen Rager who yes we already said his prayer yards were not good but was not healthy for majority of the year remember he didn't even start the year he had to come back from injury and so we're talking about year two perhaps Carson Wentz getting developed but if not the Eagles secretly under the table sign Brian Johnson as their QB coach. Uh, and Brian Johnson, not only, as you know, Ian, probably, was on the cover of NCAA, NCAA football 2010 <laughs> as Utah's quarterback, but is actually great friends with Jalen Hurts. Like, he's known him since he was four years old. He tried recruiting into Mississippi State, where Johnson instead coordinated for Dak Prescott. Uh, Hurts just went to Alabama. Of course he did, instead. But Brian Johnson knows Hurts personally, knows how to work with him. So if we get Jalen Hurts, who in his time with the Eagles, still threw 20 plus yards downfield at a far higher rate than Carson Wentz. Rager is that deep threat. So I, I think it'd be a tremendous option overall. And then of course, if Watson or uh, improved quarterback situation comes over, Denzel Mims we saw is an alpha. And so in a better offensive situation, I think Denzel Mims is great. And then to cap it off really quick, LaVisca Chenault, of course, uh, Trevor Lawrence coming in. We also know that uh, Urban Meyer, even when LaVisca was taught drafted like no one was higher on LaVisca than Urban Meyer even on the broadcast that's the type of player he has historically made into number one receivers we've seen this at Ohio State of course took a someone who was considered a gadget guy like Curtis Samuel but made them more than that and just LaVisca has that written all over him in his profile Percy Harvin to Curtis Samuels, LaVisca Chenault. Yep. I am with you there. Yeah, and also agree. Uh, Pittman and Rager definitely shaping up as guys that are probably going to be ranking a wide receiver 30, 40 range and probably should be favored to lead, lead their offense and targets, particularly if mm-hmm. T.Y. Houghton uh, leaves, as you mentioned. Reminds me kind of Jamison Crowder last year, like someone that, you know, we saw Mims and, you know, Perryman pop off a little bit towards the end. But, you know, even bad offenses, even bad passing offenses, if you can find the one guy where you're going to look at uh, target concentration, don't be afraid to chase that. Had Chase Claypool and T. Higgins written down good job by you there i would also have brandon ayuk is someone who i'm not saying he's going to be too far under the radar but i think him and debo are going to be pretty close i want ayuk over debo and i i think that's not something that's necessarily going to be consensus debo they use him more or less like a running back i mean for him to have more yards after the catch than he had receiving yards uh for if it wasn't the entire season for most of the season last year it's just ridiculous they use the way shanahan uses them is completely different ayuk was already the wide receiver 18 in ppr points per game so Hopefully we get a QB upgrade. I know there's some uncertainty here. Kittle's going to be back and taking it. But man, I could just one of those guys that I want to invest in, even if the volume maybe isn't quite as high as we want. I think he is that good to make the most out of the situation. And then finally, we need to pay attention to this Carolina offense because last year, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, PPR wide receiver, 27, 28, 29. One of the few offenses that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt can enable three fancy relevant wide receivers. Joe Brady's back to your point. Man, Carolina, that's one of those offenses that, you know, I, I'm i assuming DJ Moore is going to rise to the top, and he probably should. But if Curtis Samuel comes back, him and Robbie might be flying under the radar yet again. Uh, Debo Samuel also leading candidate for coolest package anytime he's in because the 49ers and Kyle Shannon actually call his personnel the Deadpool package. So <laughs> no one else is in the Deadpool package. So I go, even though I have Ayuk over Debo, still pretty cool.
Yes, love that point. You got the NCAA uh, 2010 cover boy there too. I didn't even know that, John. You, you said I would and I could have just kept going and the people probably would have assumed I would, but wanted to give you credit on that tidbit. All right, so next up, every offseason we convince ourselves that tight end is deeper than ever. Every regular season we realize that take was incorrect. So obviously in best ball, we're drafting two or three tight ends, you know, in case you get an injury and we'll take some like later round guys no matter what. But do you think prioritizing one of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, maybe even Darren Waller inside the first three to four rounds should be a priority? I thought it was last year, and I'll say it again. I think it is this year. Uh, we will continue to cite late-round options, particularly for best ball, because you have to have two or three tight ends. But if you get Kelsey or Kittle in the first or the first-round turn, clearly it's an advantage for you. Uh, Kelsey has now been the number one tight end for five years in a row, in a row which is absolutely insane um but recall we can pretty much throw this year out for george kittle because he was never healthy for it and even when he came back to play was not healthy despite being explosive but just a year prior we're one year removed from him leading the position in fantasy points per game despite finishing with fewer overall fantasy points than kelsey since kelsey was healthy for the full season um i know two years ago in the in the super bowl run they did the disappearing act right he had eight catches total because he's he's being asked to run block more because they were blowing out teams until they reached the chiefs in the super bowl but overall kittle has shown that he can top kelsey we know he's overall one of the best players in the entire league so if you were getting a an extensive discount on Kittle, let's say mid-second round, because everyone is box score hunting for last year and saying, oh, like I'm worried about the offense overall, then sure, I think he's a tremendous buy as well. But Kelsey is mandatory first round, even if it's at the end, mandatory first round, because you have such an advantage over any other tight end. People will cite like Mark Andrews and TG Hawkinson, but even those guys are so far removed in points per game and overall ceiling production from Kelsey that it's absurd to like think that they amount to what Kelsey does weekly. Yeah, I mean, Kelsey is a number one receiver that we call a tight end. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Yep. Number two in receiving yards since Patrick Mahomes took over under center in 2018. I believe he finished this season number two behind only Stefan Diggs overall. And yeah, I mean, you said there just isn't really a difference, but I mean, there isn't a larger difference at another position than what we have at tight end. From the tight end three to tight end four last year, 3.5 PPR points per game separated them. Running back was at 2.3. Nobody else was even over two. Truly, it's just, you know, a different position that I think you can get a leg up on your competition competition by getting one of these studs early and I mean if you look Kelsey Kittle Waller like we are talking about their offenses number one receiver we have evidence of that for each of them man the only other guys I can look at to have a realistic shot and you know this is coming from someone that spammed all you with my Chris Herndon takes for freaking the entire summer but realistically not you know galaxy braining myself here Mark Andrews TJ Hawkinson, if Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones leave, and maybe Dallas Goddard if Ertz leaves, those are the only, only other guys I think have a realistic shot at being the team's tight end one. And to your point, like, I'm not saying that they deserve to be in this conversation, but, you know, if you do miss out on these top three, those would be the guys maybe, you know, you reach on a little bit in the mid rounds. Oh, if Ertz is gone, Dallas Goddard for sure. Not only talent, but we saw that even when on the field with Ertz, uh, Goddard is the superior player, gets more targets, has more production. So I agree there. Herndon, I don't think he can challenge for like the number one or number two spot, but I'll again be all in on him. We're hoping for the post-Adam Gase bump, of course. And then if the quarterback situation improves dramatically, then yes, I will be all in on Herndon yet again and just ignore the last two years of his career. We were just uh, we were just getting that muscle memory right for you, everyone. Got, got it used to drafting Herndon in 2020. All those wasted 15th round picks. I apologize for getting around 18 this year, though. But to, but to be fair, like every tight end <laughs> after the 15th round was a waste. That's the thing. Like they're all a waste. And so if like Herndon comes at a discount, I'll be fine as a tight tight end two because no one's going to take him as a tight end one. Also, Kelsey's intriguing because like just for DFS, for instance. He broke my brain so many times this year because the cardinal rule is don't flex a tight end. But to your point, Kelsey's not a tight end. He's a wide receiver who is just positionally playing a tight end. And so that's something also to consider for DFS next year. Yeah, some of those late round uh, tight ends. Jay Sternberger, we could have been taking Robert oh. Tunyon the whole time. Oh my gosh, we'll, we'll tilt about that another day. Rookies. Let's talk rookies because obviously landing spot matters greatly for any first year player. But because of this, as we see, you know, in these best ball drafts, we're talking like massive, like three, four round difference, you know, on April 26th versus on April 28th, where we actually know the guy is going to go. Generally, before the draft, what is your strategy towards rookie in best ball? The one rule, one of the most important rules you should take into offseason best ball drafts before the draft is to draft rookies. Uh, be heavy on rookies because it changes in the blink of an eye. It changes with draft capital and a 48-hour span. And the 
two months leading up to this past draft, for instance, leading up to the end of April. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, for example, was the RB34 being drafted overall, whereas the next month after the draft, he was the RB14. And remember, Damian Williams didn't opt out till a couple weeks later. So he was still being drafted like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the second round, at the end of the first round, despite Damian Williams being there, because that's what draft capital does to rookies in best ball drafts immediately following the actual draft. Uh, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson was the wide receiver 60, got drafted in the first round, became the wide receiver 47 overall over the next month. And it turns out that even 47 was a disgrace to what <laughs> yeah. he could do in the league. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was undrafted. And then all of a sudden the draft capital changed it all together. And he started becoming a, a popular mid round selection. Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, who finished 12th overall in fantasy points per game. Like the list goes on and on, but the point is that we don't know when these names will be called. And that actually is more emphasized this year because at least there was a combine last year. There is no combine this year. Now it's going to be NFL execs and front offices who really don't know how to scout just going on based on their priors and probably making a lot of bad decisions. So no matter what that is, if they see someone they like based on their size or speed or whatever the case, uh, follow those tea leaves, draft those guys, even if it's at the end of the round, even if they're not getting a lot of talks and news because all it takes is them being drafted in the first or second round and all of a sudden you have four to six rounds of value in best ball drafts yeah some of those wide receivers i mean you were talking about like you know wide receiver 66 adp for jefferson was absolutely wild you know for some of the production he was able to put up at lsu i will say that you know yeah those are the guys really in the late rounds of the draft that should still be available running back and quarterback are where we usually quarterback at least more in recent years we've seen the rookies you know be able to put up big time numbers to start you know john as as you said we still we still got a while to uh, watch some film on these running backs and everything but it seems like Najee harris travis Etienne, and javante williams are the consensus big three um i mean do you think there's enough upside with these guys to draft them inside the first 10 rounds i do but again pre-NFL draft best ball, it's not really even about having as much upside. It's just about trying to get value on those picks. And so if one of them happens to go, let's say Najee Harris, it happens to go at the end of the first round accidentally. Like Clyde edwards later, remember, it was supposed to be DeAndre Swift. And also the most popular bet going into the night one of the draft was no running back taken whatsoever. And then suddenly here comes the Chiefs who don't need anything at all. And they just graft the best receiving back in the entire league. Oddly enough, it's like, that's the one skill we didn't even get to see him do. <laughs> it all this year but it just literally takes one team to suddenly give yourself six rounds of value so no matter what i think about their upside it's just the fact that what other teams think and since we're not going to know much going into this draft i would say definitely just take your shots trevor lawrence the prime late round qb perhaps Oh, yeah. I, I will even be late round, though. Like, we know the situation. We know the offense. We know he runs the ball. And we know he's surrounded by terrific players and DJ Shark, LaVisca Chenault, and then James Robson as well. So I, I don't even think he's going to be sneaky. He's probably going to be Joe Burrow, who got propped up by, like, myself, you, Rich Rebar, a lot of the industry, honestly, because we saw the rushing juice he had. Same for Lawrence. And we saw the much better offensive situation he's going into, surrounded by talent. So I don't even think Lawrence will be sneaky, to be honest. Uh, the sneaky one will probably be whomever the Falcons draft because there's a chance they move on from Matt Ryan. And it sounds like it might be, it's very early. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it sounds like Zach Wilson may be a uh, Falcons guy. And if that's the case, he enters with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. So yeah, can't, I mean, that'd be an amazing spot to put a young rookie QB in with any rookie quarterback. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So friend of the show and noted Ashton Villa supporter, Josh Norris up to Villa. I will not say that again on this podcast, but he <laughs> yeah. does have a good saying and that is draft good players on good teams. Fantasy football doesn't need to be hard, John. So as Ross stand right now entering the offseason again so we're talking you know just pretty much good situations where we can look at the number three receiver the backup running back and say you know what if things get things get quirky at least they are in a great offense so as it stands right now who do you think boasts the nfl's top five offenses next season the easy one number one is the chiefs of course uh, and remember sammy watkins and marcus robinson are both unrestricted free agents Nicole. We knew that last year, and yet they brought both back. They restructured Watkins and brought Robinson back in like the sixth wave of free agency because no one else signed him. I don't think they 
cross those landmines again. Like, I don't think they bring both of them back this time for the second year in a row. So I would imagine that Miko Hardman, yes, would be a tremendous add. And it's a concentrated target tree because we've seen that Le'Veon Bell will also be a free agent, but it's either going to be Edward Slayer or Damian Williams since he's going to be back. He still has one year left in his contract and opting out, he didn't lose that year. So it's still like five players really for that offense we're focusing on and Patrick Mahomes enhances everybody. Uh, the Bills are running the entire team back. They remind me of the Titans last year. Yeah. All we needed them to do was basically bring back Arthur Smith. They extended Ryan Tannehill. They extended Derrick Henry. They brought back their play-action play caller. And thus, we were we confidently went back to drafts with all of them. And that's the way the Bills are. Uh, just in bringing Dable back, we can go back to everyone because Stephon Diggs still under contract, John Brown under contract. We can expect another MVP campaign from Josh Allen. So, yes, I like to get all of them together. And more importantly, they don't even use their running backs. We've seen yeah. they'll use play action at the fourth league's fourth highest rates, but they don't care about running back carries. So a concentrated target tree, which makes all their pass catchers easy to draft. Um, the Ravens, until they ran into the wind buzzsaw of the Bills, they averaged at least 6.3 yards per play and every game from week 10 on. So basically when Lamar Jackson came back from the COVID list against the Cowboys, I believe it was week 10, whatever the case, if not, but Every game, 6.3 yards per play. Um, and that was in healthy scratching Mark Ingram. We, we know he's out the picture now. So again, this is an engine. It's Lamar Jackson. It's Marquise Brown. It's Mark Andrews. And then the two running backs, Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. And that's it. So easy to also get all of those pieces for a run-heavy offense that still takes a lot of shots downfield. Um, number four for me is still the Cowboys, who we saw with Dak Prescott, who led all quarterbacks in fantasy points per game, it's a small five-game sample, I know. But even in that extremely small sample and the four healthy games he was available for was on pace. Again, comical, stupid. On pace, though, in those four games, 800 attempts and 6,700 yards. And not just because he was great and having to drop back and throw 50 attempts per game, literally, but because the defense is so bad. And even in bringing back Dan Quinn, I question if those units that they think will improve will actually improve. Again, I think Cowboys offensive line, even when all healthy is league average. And Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch proved they were lost last year. Maybe a simplified dumbed down scheme is what they need, but even in just falling behind that much by being below league average linebackers and now bringing in Dan Quinn to save them, you have to be concerned, which is great for fantasy because it keeps their defense below league average makes them a bad one which means Dak Prescott will again have to throw the ball a ton and then the fifth I think is completely up in the air um if the Colts get a competent quarterback all the pieces are in place from the offensive line to the pass catchers to be amazing yet again including Jonathan Taylor um the Titans we can easily expect them to run it back although I do worry about Arthur Smith now being with the Falcons and then if the Jets or let's say the Panthers who are both in the hunt for Watson get him then those offenses in my opinion would be amazing like imagine and they're reportedly aggressive in the hunt for Watson imagine if Joe Brady and Matt Rule get Deshaun Watson my god yeah, that would instantly vault the Panthers up there for sure. I'm with you. And I, you, you briefly said it, but we do want a mediocre defense if possible. That's what had the Cowboys oh, yeah. and the Seahawks, particularly in the first half of the year, just booming on offense. We had to keep their uh, you know, gas pedal on the floor pretty much every single game, no matter who they were playing. And you mentioned the Titans. I think that's a you know a t- team that, again, has a good offense, particularly if Corey Davis ends up leaving. Now we got a more concentrated uh, target share. We'll see who steps up. You know, Maybe Adam Humphreys ends up being a nice uh, later on value. They're still paying him a ton of money for whatever reason going on there maybe the Raiders that's just another team I don't don't think they're a top five offense but their defense might be bad enough to give them enough plays to be in that conversation Uh, only other you mentioned let's say Chiefs Bills Cowboys Cole Beasley on the Bills he's someone that we know is going to be eating you know credit to him for playing through the pain during the playoffs hopefully he comes back you know healthier uh the Browns are some or hey if Baker can just do what he did in the second half of the year and we get OBJ take an offense to an even higher level I think Jarvis Landry maybe even Austin Hooper Harrison Bryant you know some of these later round guys Kareem Hunt uh obviously best handcuff in fantasy football land again those guys are options how about the Chargers Man, I know, but I know we were hoping, you know, to get to get Dable there to really accentuate the offense. But year two, Justin Herbert, Keenan, Mike. I mean, I almost feel even like Jalen Guyton is someone that we should just be auto picking in like round twenty because he's that kind of picture perfect boomer bust wide receiver. The Chargers. I know we say it every year, but man, if you just look at overall roster construction, this team looks like they can compete right now. Oh, the Chargers are one of my favorite 
early over picks just because everything's in place. Uh, even like the secondary to not only have one of the league's elite pass rushers in Joey Bosa, like that's the position every team tries to get quarterback and an elite pass rusher and the chargers have it. And they also have a franchise cornerstone in Justin Herbert, but now you mix in like the league's best slot corner in Chris Harris. Although I understand he wasn't used there all the time last year. Um, and then, of course, like Desir Adderley, Linville Joseph, Derwin James, the list goes on and on. Like they literally, if their coaching staff proves to be competent and Brandon Staley seems like an incredibly uh, intelligent guy who ha- understands like the chess piece, not only of defense, but in just like handing off play calls to Sean Payton disciple, Joe Lombardi, like that is a... That's like the number four team in the AFC. And I understand number four doesn't sound impressive, but remember, you have to get through the permanent number one of Patrick Mahomes and then the Bills, who we expect to be good again, and then likely the Ravens. But the Chargers just even competing deep into the AFC postseason in year one of the Staley era would be incredible, and they have all the pieces to do so. Yeah, they do. Seriously loaded almost at every single position group. Last team I want to talk about before we move on. How about the Packers, man? Because last year, you know, there would have been a situation where we didn't want Lazard or MVS because uh, we all expected them to sign someone or draft someone. They didn't. If they don't do it again, man, like MVS and Lazard are going to be fantastic values. Yes. The only issue is, and again, I, I wanted to only put teams, we understand their situation already. That's fair. And if the Packers bring everyone back, then sure, of course, we're going to be all in again. Although Aaron Rodgers, you know, and having a 9% touchdown rate, I believe, which is well above his career average, which is well above like God's career average. Yeah. Then, uh, <laughs> then of course, that's an easy player to fade, especially if people are drafting him as like a top five or six option, even though he has no rushing juice. But if he comes back, then of course, um, a full season with Alan Lazard healthy. We've seen Marquez Valdez Scantling. He'll at least get one opportunity downfield. Who knows if he's going to catch it or not, but it's there. It's, yeah. a, it's there 70 yards downfield every single time. And then not to mention more AJ Dillon in our lives. Yeah, I'll definitely be in on them again. Yeah, the thing with MBS, like I understand how frustrating this guy is in fantasy land, but best ball, like, okay, he drops it. That's great. Then he won't be starting that week, you know, when it auto fills it. So someone like that, you know, the boomer bust, the, the, the guy that people thought Will Fuller was instead of being the true wide receiver one that we know he is, you know, someone like that where you are concerned, like when should I start and when should I not? Best ball is a format to take a chance on those guys. So that's going to conclude. Also, yeah, go and ahead. if you're starting MBS though, you, you understood the consequence. You understood the yeah. risk. You knew what you were betting on. Um, it's like, the Deontay Johnson of the world are the aggravating ones because they have all the talent in the world. They get all the targets in the world. But yeah. like those drops, when they start to stack, that makes us really question the drops don't matter mantra. Uh, whereas MVS, it's like, yeah, he's going to get three targets per game. He could go for 100 yards or not. You know what you're getting. Exactly. And that's why then when they're, again, they're going to be priced so low because that's, you know, it's, those aren't necessarily the guys we want in season long, but best ball is different. So know your format, know your rules, take advantage accordingly. That's going to wrap up the best ball conversation. But while you're here, John, I want to talk a little bit Super Bowl because that is also, you know, something that people might care a little bit more about around this time of the year. Both of us, Mr. Daigle are gambling men. We each enjoy a good prop bet from time to time. Give me, you know, I said favorite three Super Bowl props. If you only have one or two, that's fine. What props are you eyeing right now? All right, so I like Mahomes over 40 and a half in attempts. So if you can get it somewhat lower, I doubt you can. I like that because we saw in week 12 that the Chiefs favored their passing game heavily. It was the highest rate of pass plays compared to run plays that they had in any game all year. And this Bucks secondary is one we still shouldn't be scared of. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I understand the Bucks practically won that game for them, but Aaron Rodgers quietly shredded the Bucks defense. It's not like they stopped him. He brought them back within one score. And then of course we know the field goal heard around the world that uh, to make it a five point game, as opposed to potentially going for it and going then for the two point conversion. But I like Mahomes to just dice the Bucks secondary at will. Um, you know, that maybe means that Tampa Bay still competes because Brady uh, bounces back and answers back and responds point for point. But yeah, I think the Chiefs will be passing a lot. And so I like Mahomes' attempts. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over rushing yards. Um, you can probably get him fairly low, but this past week, he actually quietly outsnapped Darrell Williams 32 to 30. Williams, of course, handled 13 to 19 running back carries, three or four carries inside the 10, but with two weeks removed from being injured now. So he basically has two weeks to get healthy, then he'll return. I would imagine they still... Not, I wouldn't say feature because I expect him to throw a lot, but Clyde Erdzelayer will be much healthier and will be more involved as opposed to this past week when he was still clearly hobbled. So it's more of an advantage that I'm trying to 
uh, get a value on because I think he'll get five to eight more touches and just eat into Darrell Williams touches as opposed to this past game when he was clearly still injured. And then I'm letting the Sammy Watkins situation figure itself out. If Sammy Watkins is healthy, I want his over yards. We saw in last year's postseason, how they leaned on him for 14 catches. He was a, a dramatically more involved player as opposed to the regular season where he boomed in week one, just like this year, boomed in week one has disappeared since, but he has been injured. And if not, if Sammy Watkins is inactive, quietly, Brian Pringle is the way to go, Byron Pringle, just because he actually played as many snaps as Tyree Kill this past week and then ran more routes than both Demarcus Robinson and Miko Hardman as the team's interchangeable slot and outside receiver. They more or less move Tyree Kill to the slot a ton. And if that's the case with Watkins out again, that means we'll again see Tyree Kill match in the slot and then Byron Pringle will be the one outside. So over receiving yards for him playoff freaking Sammy as you said week one or the playoffs Sammy Watkins turns into a superhero I'm happy you focused on like you know playoff like player props that are going to be available in most books I went all you know luxury extravagant let's see what's what color the Gatorade is going to be type stuff orange Gatorade Johnny Daigle is plus 150 the Chiefs used it last year hey you know it's cheaper than the money line I'll just say that national anthem over under is at one minute 59 seconds the last three have all been at 153 or under so it's a duet this year between people named Jasmine Sullivan and Eric Church Jasmine clocked out at 138 on NHL game in 2016 Eric Church said previously that he vowed like to himself that he would never sing a national anthem because of the vocal challenge does that sound like someone that's going to be stretching out his chords a country singer that has never sung it i don't think so so you know had to go back 2006 uh aaron Neville and aretha franklin were the last duet they went to 208 but without you know a big crowd there i see it coming under a minute and 59 seconds just not enough time to really be hanging that out and remember it's just the first brave if they get in some corky business corky business after that we don't have to worry about it uh what also note the uh you know who's the super bowl mvp gonna thank first last year mahomes immediately thanked kansas city he owns uh you know some of the royals it seems like you know a good thing for him city for the super bowl mvp to thank the city first is plus 700 and families at plus 550 so maybe mahomes pulls a quick one he's a big god guy and we don't quite know about it but to thank Kansas City first plus 700. I love that. And finally, this one I'm stealing actually from uh, my fellow coworker, your current one, Hayden Winks with Roto World. So Hayden had a great point on Twitter. Make sure you follow him at Hayden Winks if you don't already. But the Bucks have elected to receive the first half kickoff recently, and Kansas City typically defers. So and then uh, also shout out at Jack Miller 02 for crunching these numbers. But basically, the Chiefs are minus 2,500 to defer. The Bucks are plus 162 receive. So if you just look at these odds, which are on Bavada, minus 120 for the Bucks to get the ball first. They're giving us even odds on who gets the ball first, even though there's about a 67% implied chance that the Buccaneers get it because of the Chiefs, you know, mostly deferring and the Bucks taking the ball. So that was Bucks to get the ball first. Uh, Mahomes to thank Kansas City first. National anthem under. Under one minute, 59 seconds, and Orange Gatorade. Have I intrigued you with any of those, John Diggle? You saw Jack and Hayden's notes, and you thought, I'm going to write that down. I saw them and thought, these guys have too much time on <laughs> No, Jack and Hayden do amazing work, and I did see that prop. I was very intrigued. Uh, if you're going to do the who the MVP or who Mahomes thinks first, then clearly you correlate that with uh, Mahomes MVP odds as well, because that would be the same line of thinking. So yeah, I actually like that a lot, especially since you correlate that as well as with Kansas City clearly winning. There we go, man. There we go. See, you know, we can go over under receiving yards or we can look at who the MVP is going to think first. That's why I love the Super Bowl. We have all these opportunities. All right. Last question. Chiefs Buccaneers, Brady Mahomes, the fucking Super Bowl is happening, man. At this time is, let's see, the 28th Thursday, I believe. It's hard to keep track these days. 4.01 p.m. on the Eastern time zone. John Daigle, Kansas City is three-point favorites. Who do you have and why? I will do you and the good people of the PFF pod a tremendous service and not only give you a pick, but I'll tell you which book to bet it at because I've already bet it. Uh, I have taken the Chiefs minus three so far at points bets. And for those that don't know, points bet is a unique book because you win or lose what you stake according to the results. So let's say we keep it friendly. Let's say we stake some, a recreational bet like 10 bucks on the Chiefs minus three. They win by exactly three points, you push, no big deal. But they win by four, right? You win $10 back. That's one X what you put in. And so let's say they win by six points just quickly, then three X, of course, you get $30 back on top of your $10. And it's vice versa. If they lose by three, then you're losing $30 on top of your $10. But what I like about it is that 
And how many of the simulations, like what percent of the time do the Bucks blow out the Chiefs? Like how, how much percent of the time are we losing $100 on a $10 bet as opposed to the Chiefs blowing out the Bucks by three scores and we're like 300Xing our money, right? And so that's why I like it because I do think it'll be a close game. I do like the Chiefs to win a close game, but the odds are still in our favor, well over 50%, I would say, of the Chiefs just blowing out the Bucks and, and the Bucks never blowing out the Chiefs. So I think it's, yes, it could lead to catastrophic results, but I think it's a good way to get value on a bet because the Chiefs do have a chance to win by quite a few points and you get much more than you intended on your money back. Number one most likely scenario, I mean, I guess, as Vegas is saying, is Chiefs went close. Number two, probably Buccaneers went close. And I'm with mm-hmm. you, man. Number three, Chiefs probably blowing the hell out of the water. We have to go back to Texas Tech at Iowa State, November 11th. In, or excuse me, November 19th in 2016 to find the last time Patrick Mahomes lost the game by more than eight points. I love that call. Points bet, Chiefs minus three. Go get that money. Hope for a blowout. And if not, you should still be good either way. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you, Mr. John Dago, for the time. You can all follow John on Twitter. Now, stay tuned for this one, at not Jay Daigle. If you are listening to this and you have the real at Jay Daigle handle, you know, maybe reach <laughs> out. John's a good guy. I'm sure he might be willing to throw you, uh, you know, a little bit of a token or something like that. John, what do you got in the docket over at Roto World? I'll take Daigle or John underscore Daigle at this point. <laughs> But until then, we stake our claim on not Jay Daigle. Uh, yeah, tune in to the Roto World Football Podcast, of course. And then I will be doing loads of off-season content. Like I said, I already have the available targets and air yards tracker about to come out. Um, best ball tiers will come out. Probably, it seems like everyone's jumping on best ball slightly early this year. So I'll probably go to the lab, be obsolete from Twitter for two or three weeks after I post the trackers and just start with the best ball tiers where it's just, you know, 130 plus blurbs of every single player and rankings for best balls until a pre-draft update and yeah those are the big things i have coming out and of course ian thanks for bringing me on you do a tremendous job this is one of my weekly listens honestly as i listen to far too many podcasts in season (laughs) so good luck to you Thank you, sir. Too kind. Yes, Rotor World Football Podcast, one of the best listens out there as well. And yeah, make sure you check out, seriously, John's available targets and air yards. I remember last year, the Falcons and Cowboys were one too. Maybe Calvin Ridley, C.D. Lamb. Oh, man. I, I, Blake Jarwin was someone else. We were, I know yep. that didn't work out, but process was right. Again, you know, you look at these things and it's just great to have people like John really paint the information we're looking for in a nice clean table and he keeps it updated as the transactions flow in. So check that out again at NotJDaigle on Twitter. He's John Daigle. I'm Ian Hartz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 